This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are discussing about the role of physical activity in public health, and we have an amazing guest for this episode who can really give perspective on this matter. Our guest has started his research career in 1972 in University of Oregon and has since then worked in almost every position and roles imaginable. Currently, he's working as Distinguished Professor Emeritus of Exercise Science and as a Director of Children's Physical Activity Research Group at University of South Carolina. He has authored nine books about fitness testing, coaching, and physical activity interventions and strategies. He has published over 400 peer-reviewed scientific papers, and those papers have been cited over 111,000 times. And if that is not enough of accomplishments, he has finished prestigious Boston Marathon on seventh place with time of two hours and 15 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Distinguished Professor Russell Pate. Welcome, Russell. Well, thank you so much, Ola. It's wonderful to be with you, and I appreciate the very kind introduction. Yeah, it's really, really an honor to have you. So maybe we start shortly with the with the Boston Marathon. How was the How was the race in 1975? <laughs> uh, well, I had a good day. Uh, <laughs> you know, anyone who's uh, run competitively knows that. Uh, you know, there, there are days when it's uh, when it's difficult and there are days when uh, it all seems to come together. And uh, uh, that particular day was one when it all came together for me. I, I, I felt good that day. I had a nice tailwind. And uh, uh, Boston is a, uh, a one-directional course that, uh, you know, it, it runs uh, west to east. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a nice day for it. Weather was good. And... Uh, you know, I, I happened to have a good day uh, that that particular day. Yeah, and I, I read about it that Bill Rogers actually ran the American record on the on the same race. Yeah, I, it was uh, a little like old times day because I I, I I I knew Bill Rogers when he was still in high school, and um, I, I remember vividly when he came by and uh, <laughs> during the race and it looked good and. Uh, you know, we spoke briefly, and he went on, and uh, he had a great day. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And so, if if we go a little bit more into into your research things, uh, how how is your how is your research at the moment? What kind of things are keeping you busy at the moment? We're busy. Um, yeah, our our uh, you know, overriding aim of my research group is to. Uh, understand physical activity behavior in children and uh, we are <clears throat> particularly interested in learning ways that uh, physical activity can be increased in in young people um, our work started um, really at the older end of the child adolescent age continuum and has gradually worked down and and for the last uh, 
uh, 15 or so years, we've, we've worked with young children uh, of preschool age, three to five-year-old children, and uh, we're currently involved in a study that uh, uh, is focused on even younger children. We followed um, uh, around 140 um, originally babies that were six months old uh, uh, up to 36 months of age, and we're very interested in learning how their physical activity levels change over that period of time. And uh, we hope to learn, uh, if, if we can, factors that, um, uh, th that associate with their change in, in physical activity. Uh, we're also studying other, other behaviors, including uh, sleep behavior, and how that may associate with their physical activity. So we've gradually worked down the age continuum and uh, uh, hope that uh, we will, in the not-too-distant future, learn something about physical activity in very young children that uh, have not been studied frequently um, you know, in, 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 this, uh, you know, in, in, in this sector. So you start with such a young that six months of age. How how do you do the do the measurements? How do you follow the physical activity? Yeah, we we use accelerometers, um, which are uh, you know, as your many in your audience will know, are, are motion sensors, uh, you know, electromechanical devices that uh, can be attached to the body and that uh, detect motion, and they can be. Um, uh, used as indicators of physical activity just based on the on the raw counts that are uh, recorded in the computer chip in the in the monitor or they can be calibrated and um, linked to intensities of physical activity um, with the very young children um, you know the method for um, transforming the raw accelerometry data to intensities of physical activity really hasn't been done yet and our we our group hopes to be able to do that work in the not too distant future so we're um, we're using accelerometers at two sites uh, the the very young children are wearing uh, a monitor at the ankle and then another at the waist and we're um, uh, you know we're, we're, we're looking at how that activity changes over time uh, in, as indicated by the accelerometry data collected at each of those two sites. Uh, of course, when children are six months of age, they, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not um, ambulatory yet. And uh, <clears throat> consequently, we think the, um, you know, the ankle uh, indicated physical activity data may be more reflective of their overall physical activity than the activity at the waist. But, uh, you know, once they're up and ambulatory, then we think, you know, the waste monitor may um, be a better reflection of their overall physical activity. And that's that's something that we hope to learn here in, in this study that we're engaged with at the present time. And and what kind of practical challenges you have you have faced doing the measurements with the ankle and waist waist accelerometers? Keep keeping the kids wearing them, <laughs> of course. And um you know, we're very much indebted to the, uh, you know, to the parents, uh, usually the mothers are uh, the, you know, the participant in the research. And uh, we, we've had great uh, um, good fortune in this study. Um, not only have the, um, you know, have, have the mothers been uh, very committed uh, to, um, to the study protocol and have, have really done a great job of uh, keeping the kids wearing the monitors across the you know the the 
longitudinal period that we're following them. We're, we're almost done with the 36 month uh, data collection. So we've had very good compliance to the protocol, but um, we've conducted this study during the COVID shutdown period, uh, which could uh, you know, very easily have um, thrown us off track. And it, we, we did uh, have to make some modifications to the protocol because of uh, COVID, but um, we, were, we were very fortunate that uh, we had been through two measurement cycles with, with the moms and, and the babies before COVID. And so they were familiar with the protocol and um, we were uh, during COVID a little more reliant upon the mothers to, uh, to do some things that we ordinarily would do, but we, you know, we were trying to not have direct contact with, um, you know, with the kids. So the moms were great. And, um, you know, we made it through COVID with, uh, not too much loss of data and uh, expect to be able to do the longitudinal analyses that we've planned for quite some time. Yeah, it's quite interesting that they are not ambulatory in the beginning and you are having the sensor in the ankle. So it's kind of open, open kinetic. It's the leg is moving in the air. Do you still plan to use the same way that you use kind of threshold and counts or how do you, how do you plan to analyze or have analyzed the data? Yeah. Um, Procedures have been developed for um, toddlers, so when they, you know, when they get up, um, you know, to a year and a half to two years of age, there are procedures that have been developed previously to transform accelerometer counts to, um, you know, to, to minutes of physical activity at a particular intensity. But if we're going to do longitudinal analyses all the way from six months. Uh, you know, on up to 36 months, uh, you know, that that will have to be at this point dependent on use of the raw counts as uh, uh, indicative of physical activity. And so, um, you know, there's a there's a metric um, <clears throat> based on the accelerometry data that uh, that, that we'll use, uh, to, you know, to for, for those longitudinal analyses that begin uh, with the kids before they are ambulatory. Yes, good points. And and then I wanted Hello? to ask... Excuse oh. me, could I ask one question before you? Yeah, yeah, sir, please, please go on. Do you work with children in physical activity? Okay, then you should listen to us. We wanted to tell you about this polar bear animation that is so cool. And we understood from his funny explanations why humans and polar bears shouldn't sit all day. Fabian device, it is an accelerator. And I could tell you all the specs. But you just need to know it measures accurately sedentary behavior and physical activity. And is scientifically validated. But most importantly, using it feels like magic. Yeah, like magic. Ding dong done. So, Lomo at Fibian.com slash kids. Please click it because it's important that kids all over the world can learn from polar bear. That's so awesome. Mom, can we have a polar bear as a pet? Please, Mom?
Yeah, really, really interesting study and really interesting topic. But actually, our plan was to more talk about the role of physical activity in in public health. So, would you like to start with the with the history of this? Well, it goes way back. Um, you know, in, in in some ways, I I think of um, you know physical activity as uh, the new kid on the block in in public health in many ways. But the idea that um, physical activity is is important to personal health and you know therefore uh, the the health of populations and uh, community residents uh, goes way way back um, you know the, the the early Greek scholars and and physicians um, you know presumably based on their own experience you know we don't know that they had any you know anything that we would call research uh, you know, available to, you know, base their conclusions on, but I, apparently on the basis of their lived experience, uh, you know, they certainly seem to be convinced that, that physical activity was important to health, and they communicated that, uh, you know, through their writings, and, and uh, so in a sense, they were the, they were, they were the first, um, you know, physical activity specialists in, in you know, in public health, but uh, fast-forwarding, um, you know, a number of centuries, uh, you know, public health uh, became a, you know, became a professional pursuit uh, in, in, in many parts of the, of the world in the, in the 1900s, really the early 1900s is when uh, public health started to become a, you know, a focused profession. And, um, <clears throat> you know, physical activity really was not conceptualized as, as a, a component of public health. Around that same time, um, school-based physical education became quite common, and you know I think the argument uh, that was that was made by advocates for school physical education in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, really really was based on health and fitness. So, you know I sometimes think um, you know we we could look back to uh, you know, the institutionalization of physical education in schools, um, you know, particularly in, um, you know, in, in Europe and in North America as, um, you know, a, a, a first major investment in physical activity in a public health application, because obviously the public schools reach all the kids. And, and uh, so I think that that development can be thought of as a, you know, as a Kind of a physical activity in public health um, startup, but um, you know, from that point on, you know, public health really developed with a focus on infectious disease uh, prevention, and uh, you know, then really after World War II, started to take on uh, chronic disease as um, you know as, as a focus, as uh, you know, as it became evident in populations that uh, cardiovascular disease and Cancer and diabetes and other other chronic diseases were, uh, you know, becoming major causes of uh, morbidity and, and mortality. Uh, <clears throat> but it it really was not until uh, the the 1990s that uh, physical activity came to be recognized as a, a legitimate focus of public health and. Um, you know, I think there was a sort of a salient development at that time. Um, 
and it was the release by the American Heart Association, which in, in the U.S. is a very large and influential um, uh, not-for-profit health organization. Uh, the American Heart Association released a, a so-called statement on exercise that uh, essentially declared that, that physical inactivity, lack of um, reasonable participation in, in physical activity, uh, should be considered a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And uh, I, I think in some ways that that official declaration by that uh, very well-regarded organization opened the floodgate. And I, I, I personally feel that the evidence to support um, action uh, related to physical activity and public health was there in the research for a good period before that. But, um, you know, it took time, I think, for people to uh, sort of, well, for, for, the, for the evidence to accumulate to sort of a critical level in the research, and then for, you know, influential policy advocates to, I think, internalize that research, come to recognize it and, and respect it, and then finally to, you know, to act and, and make that statement. So, um, you know, as, as, a, as a, you know, university researcher, obviously, I, you know, I believe research is important. And, um, you know, I think in this case, um, you know, it, it, it's been really important. I, I, I don't think there's a, a, a chance that, you know, our field would be as established as it is. And I, you know, I'm, I, I'll say before we finish today that it's not as uh, established as I, as I think it should be. But, um, you know, I think beginning, you know, with the, you know, the work of Jerry Morris and Ralph Pathmavarger in the, you know, in the, in the 1960s and 70s, um, you know, often, uh, you know, large-scale epidemiologic studies on, um, you know, employees uh, that, that uh, were variably physically active on the job, um, you know, started the process, and then a number of other large-scale epidemiologic studies came along that, that, you know, basically showed the same thing. And it was that, you know, people that were more physically active, um, you know, were at lower risk for development of coronary artery disease. And that, that was the, you know, the primary outcome studied in, in many of these studies. But, you know, as that research accumulated, you know, more and more outcomes were studied, um, you know, type 2 diabetes and, and uh, eventually cancers and so on. And, um, so that epidemiologic evidence, you know, I think became quite convincing by the, you know, by the early 1990s. And that was layered on top of, you know, a, a very substantial body of experimental research, uh, really exercise physiology research that showed that, um, <coughs> excuse me, in the, in the short term, um, you know, an increase in, in, controlled exercise uh, sustained over a period of at least uh, weeks and months produced physiologic changes that were consistent with the findings of the epidemiology. So, you know, the controlled exercise studies were showing beneficial effects, for example, on, on blood lipids. And, um, you know, a better blood lipid profile is, of course, known to be uh, beneficial in terms of um, you know, population risk for, for cardiovascular disease. So, uh, I, you know, we had, we had, uh, you know, a growing and substantial body of experimental physiologic research 
and we had a growing and quite substantial body of epidemiologic research uh, that uh, you know sort of came together by the early 1990s, and I think made the convincing case that uh, you know we we, uh, we 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 really need to speak to um, the public and and practitioners uh, about this uh, important impact on on public health. You know, I think the um, you know, I, I don't think the physiologic research alone <laughs> would have done it. You know, I think we really needed the epidemiologic research uh, layered on top of the physiologic research to to you know to make the convincing case because you know uh, obviously the you know the epidemiologic research you know in a sense can those findings can be extrapolated up to the populations in which the research was done and. Uh, you know, it, I, I think the findings of that uh, of that body of research showed that um, you know not not only was there a beneficial effect of physical activity, but it it was a su- substantial beneficial effect uh, th- that it was uh, quite profound in the um, you know the so-called population attributable risk <laughs> associated with um, you know with physical activity behavior was. Um, uh, quantitatively important. Uh, so, um, you know, that got us to, um, you know, the point where there was some in the, in the early nineties, uh, official recognition of, you know, this, this science and its importance to, uh, you know, to, to, to public health, at least in the, in the cardiovascular disease arena. But I do think it, it did, as I say, open the floodgate because, um, um, you know, in, in just the few years after the release of that statement, um, uh, a number of groups around the world, including here in the U.S., uh, began developing physical activity recommendations or guidelines that were released to the public. Um, there was the development of uh, focused, um, you know, kind of specialty centers um, in, in colleges and universities to, you know, sort of develop uh, professional training and to, um, you know, to expand the science. And there was uh, finally at that point, the development of, um, you know, professional practice in public health uh, uh, organizations, in, including uh, here in the U.S. In, in the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and in um, you know, a number of health departments and, you know, in developed countries around the world, in Europe in particular, but um, Australia as well. Uh, so um, it was a foothold, you know, it, it was, um, you know, it became more than a statement, you know, people began to act on, uh, you know, on that. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that was important. I think it continues to be important. Um you know, we, we had a U.S. Surgeon General's report on physical activity and health. And, and uh, you know, those of us in the U.S. know that uh, it's not, not easy to get the federal government to produce a, a Surgeon General's report. Uh, you know, those are major projects. And uh, so that, that was clearly yeah, an important step. And um, I think part of the... Um, part of the impact of these initiatives that, uh, you know, kind of played out <clears throat> during the 1990s and the early 2000s um, was to, um, you know, present an image of physical activity as, as a part of, uh, you know, a person's lifestyle 
that that was not necessarily focused on uh, highly intense structured physical activity. And um, <clears throat> honestly, I think I think we know we've still got a job to do in this area. But you know, the the the, the traditional image of um, you know, say uh, you know, a, a committed quote exerciser, you know, was someone that um, you know probably pursued the exercise in a very planned, structured way. Uh, they probably went somewhere to do the physical activity. They probably dressed in a certain way to do the physical activity, and uh, the physical activity was probably pretty intense. You know, they were they were working pretty hard and. Um, you know, sweating and breathing hard and so on. And, um, and, and of course, um, you know, I think we do know that, you know, that that structured, um, you know, maybe fairly continuous, um, intense approach to, to exercise do, does provide health benefits. So it's certainly not that, not that that's wrong, but the epidemiologic research, I, I think, showed pretty clearly that, uh, to be beneficial, the physical activity didn't have to be intense, didn't have to be continuous, and didn't have to be performed in any particular way. That it could be accumulated uh, throughout the day in relatively short bouts, and that the intensity of the activity could be, um, you know, could be moderate, um, maybe even light. But I, I think we're, I think we're still learning about light intensity physical activity. Although I, I speculate that eventually we're, we're going to decide that uh, in, intensity is not as important as we once thought, and it's really the accumulated total dose of physical activity that, you know, maybe has the biggest impact. But, you know, we'll have to revisit that maybe in a decade or so when uh, more research has accumulated. But we've had a job, really, I think, ever since the, you know, the epidemiologic research began accumulating. Um, to communicate to the public that, um, you know, while intense structured exercise is just fine, if that's your thing, uh, the activity probably doesn't have to be that intense or particularly structured to be beneficial. And um, so, um, uh, you know, that, that um, you know, I was, I was involved in the, in the mid-1990s in the release of the production and release of the American College of Sports Medicine Centers for Disease Control and Prevention um, recommendation on on physical activity and public health, and and learned when we released that paper that um, you know that this image of of um, you know physical activity as an intense structured behavior uh, was very established, very locked in. Um, you know, people had been taught that approach, you know, in, in school and, um, you know, by, you know, people that they saw as expert authorities and, and when they were, you know, they weren't wrong about that. Um, it, it's just as the research evolved, our understanding of this behavior changed a little bit. And I think ever since we've been, um, you know, working to convey that, that, um, you know, that, that more moderate uh, accumulated physical activity uh, provides important health benefits. And of course, the hope is that, you know, that, that uh, you know, by incorporating that, that uh, 
less structured approach, that it, activity will become uh, accessible to more people, enjoyable to more people, and a part of um, you know regular lifestyle for uh, you know a larger and larger number of people. You know we've had since the since the 90s, you know a, a you know a, a huge challenge because. Um, as we've learned more about physical activity and 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 how it impacts health, um, you know it it, uh, it it's true that there have been changes in societies uh, during that period that, if, if anything, heightened the need for us to do better with promoting physical activity. So, um, you know, just knowing how much physical activity provides health benefits is not enough. We've got to figure out how to help. A lot more people, um, you know, meet meet those guidelines, and the challenge gets, um, you know, I think greater every year as, you know, our societies evolve in in the direction that that um, you know that, that requires less and less physical activity for for survival, you know, just for basic existence. That's that's an interesting story from the history, and and you've been there starting your research work in 1970s and being a marathon runner at that time. And you said that only 1990, the AHA publication was kind of a floodgate. How do you see now, looking back from the, for example, 1970s, did you have an idea that physical activity would be so beneficial for different chronic conditions? What was the, how, how do you see it now, looking back? I do think many of us uh, intuitively <laughs> uh, had the sense that that uh, you know that that physical activity provided um, enormous health benefits for, for you know for for populations, um, but it admittedly the evidence was was thin at that time. Um, so much of the research that had been done on exercise uh, really had been done. In a you know in a in a structured laboratory you know controlled exercise training um, uh, application and had not uh, by and large focused on health outcomes. Uh, you know I've gone back and looked at this and um, much of the research in the on exercise in you know the first part of the 20th century and you know really up into the to the 60s uh, was very focused on function. And not so much focused on on health outcomes, but I do think even at that time, um, you know, there was an underlying sense that um, you know you 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 were physically active, um, you know, certainly to promote fitness and 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 function, but that there were important ancillary health benefits associated with it. I you know I don't think that was a foreign idea at that time. I think it's just looking back at it, we weren't studying it in 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 that mode. But I think as um, you know, at, as the epidemiology came along, I think the physiologists <laughs> looked at that and said, "We need to explain that." You know, I mean, ep- epidemiologic research, um, you know, tells you, you know, what what are the health outcomes? You know, maybe in a large uh, representative sample of of a population. But epidemiologic research usually doesn't explain the underlying physiology 
that may explain those observations. And so what I think happened was, um, you know, as this as this epidemiology began to roll out and, and, you know, show these very important benefits to chronic disease outcomes, physiologists cranked it up and said, we've got, we've got to, we've got to explain that. We've got to understand how that can be the case. And, and so that, you know, in the intervening decades, uh, you know, there, there's been a huge volume of really health oriented physiologic research on, on physical activity. Yeah. And how did you then still thinking of the perspective back then, did you think about light activity at that point? It was it was much about kind of heart rate, heart rate going up, moderate to vigorous. Was there any kind of ideas even that the light activity could be could be important also? No, I don't think so. You know, I I I, I I've sort of looked at this, and um, it, it, there's an interesting example <clears throat> in. Um, uh, the American College of Sports Medicine's uh, guidelines on exercise testing and prescription. And so the American College of Sports Medicine began producing the, really this clinical guideline document in the 1970s. And it's been um, updated every five years since then. And if, if you go back and, and look at the specific exercise prescription guidelines, uh, in that very first iteration of the of the ACSM clinical guidelines on exercise testing and prescription, uh, the parts of that recommendation have, have stood the test of time. Is it you know three or more days, twenty or more minutes of, of exercise, aerobic activity? What's changed dramatically is the recommended intensity, which in that very first book was was seventy to ninety percent of of you know, uh, you know, aerobic, maximal aerobic power. And, and that's intense exercise. You know, a, a lot of people can't do that very long. And, but then in succeeding um, editorial updates of that, of that guideline book, uh, the intent recommended intensity zone gradually came down to be inclusive of at least moderate intensity. Now it's not not inclusive of light intensity at this point. I don't know if that'll come. It might, but um, uh, I think I think um, partly through research and partly through um, experience, um, you know, people figured out that the you know the the intensity of activity didn't have to be at the high end of the continuum in order for the activity to be beneficial to health. But also maybe more, um, you know, more tolerable to a lot of people. Yeah. So basically, the aerobic have come down the intensity. How do you see the role of strength training there? Now it's quite just generic. There's not really two specific guidelines, and and I would think that the in the strength training part, it could be that the recommendation goes that you should do more intensive and maybe even like explosive or at least with the high speed because it's about activating the biggest motor units that that you need even when you are older how how do you see what do you think where will the strength training recommendations go yeah i think i think um guidelines on strength training have have gradually become more prominent 
in in physical activity guidelines documents uh, you know developed around the world including the world health organization um, but um, you know i think that um, you know strength training in a sense over the you know last three or four decades is probably in in, in a health context has moved from very much in the background to an increasingly prominent position in in uh, guidelines recommendations so that now in the you know the latest iteration of the you know the US federal physical activity guidelines um, you know the very clear recommendation on on uh, resistance exercise that's a part of um, you know part of the recommendations for uh, older adults um, uh, working age adults and uh, school age kids and I think that's appropriate and and you know if anything I think that'll probably become a more prominent component of um, you know of public health guidelines on on physical activity thanks for joining us this week on physical activity research through podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support if you found value in the show we would really appreciate a rating on apple podcast or whichever app you use or if you would in a real old school way simply tell a friend about the show it would be a great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day